That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Episode 9 of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Husker football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Ben, and I'm joined by... Well, I would say the one and only, but a quick Facebook search shows there are at least 14 other Drew Horsemans in the world. For now. That sounded menacing. Good. It better have. <laughs> Each episode, we will sample beers, both local and beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or stream each episode on wannabewalkons.com. New episodes drop during the Nebraska football season every Tuesday at 11 a.m. On this week's episode, Ben and I, the true Drew, will sample beer from Pals Brewing Company in North Platte, Nebraska, share our thoughts on the Nebraska Buffalo game, and look ahead to the Big Reds matchup against storied rival the Oklahoma Sooners. I'm Ben. And I am the rightful heir to the Drew Horstman legacy. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, how are you feeling coming off of a Nebraska win against a very solid Buffalo opponent? I'm feeling a whole hell of a lot better than I was last week. Yeah, you were kind of in a downer mood when we were talking about Buffalo. I was in a bad mood, and I'm not used to being there with Nebraska, you know, for all the lumps we've taken over the years. You know, Buffalo was a good team, and heading into it, they had a really solid game against uh, Wagner, and so... Coming up against Nebraska, we expected a dogfight, and we'll get into it. I think Buffalo did throw a lot of really good punches, and Nebraska answered the call. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I uh, I have to tell you, I was at the emergency room on Friday uh, for myself. <laughs> Do you want to go into detail? or? Yeah. So I was helping my brother move into his new house, and a 40-pound weight fell on my toe. Oh, damn. Uh, on Thursday and I was like well we'll keep moving in so we finished the job and everything like that and on Friday it hadn't gotten any better and in fact it felt a a whole (laughs) hell of a lot worse but I it was Friday you know the day before game so I'm wearing Nebraska gear and the nurse came in after taking care of me and they did a foot x-ray and everything came up negative it was just a a weight fell on my foot and the doctor's like yeah that's gonna hurt yeah (laughs) um but the nurse came in and she goes how about this offensive line of ours we really need to (laughs) to lock this down and I'm worried about the game that's taking place between Martinez's ears and I just really hope that he gets things and I just thought only in Nebraska what a what a beautiful state we live in yeah we're just wonderful people but what was even better was when I first got there the ER was I was gonna say completely dead but that's not a good (laughs) (laughs) it's not a good way to describe an emergency room there was nobody else in there I was all alone in the emergency room with the staff and they had me fill out my paperwork uh, as they took me into the room and they sat me down and they said we want to get some of your vitals we want to get your blood pressure and your heart rate so I started filling out the sheet and she goes hold on don't fill out the sheet while we're taking your blood pressure we don't want to skew the results I said that's fair she goes okay 
blah, 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 blah. We get to the very end of the conversation. And then uh, she goes, we want to take your vitals before you leave again, before you're discharged. They start taking my vitals. And that's when she decided to ask me about Husker football. And I was like, <laughs> your, my blood pressure is going to be way higher. Right. That's not going to help. If you start asking these questions now. But uh, I just thought, man, only in Nebraska do you get more questions about about Husker football than you do about your <laughs> right, and, yeah, and, and well-being. Your toe foot. at that point was an afterthought. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Once they were like, it's not broken, you're fine. The doctor yeah. even goes, just sit on the couch, watch football all weekend. And yeah. I was like, yes, sir. Nice. Yeah. What I a could. good prescription. Yeah, yeah, right. I'll take I'll take two of those and call you in the morning. Yeah. So how was your week? It was busy. I don't know. It was tough. It's work's tough. And so yeah. that might be why this I'm feeling so much better is just Husker Husker football, a win, and, and looking the way they did. I mean, it wasn't all pretty, but it was enough to elevate elevate my mood and kind of change my perspective on life in yeah. general, right? Like that's the power of Husker football for people who are fanatics. Absolutely. So. Well, we can keep this positivity rolling while we talk about our featured brewery of the week, and that is Powell's Brewing Company out of North Platte, Nebraska. And I got a little story to tell you about Powell's Brewing Company, so why don't we dive into that and then talk about this delicious beer that we've already cracked into. Absolutely. So Powell's Brewing Company in North Platte, Nebraska is owned and operated by the Odinger family, including Paul, Amy, Mark, and Mendy. Paul serves as the brewmaster and resident microbiologist, along with fellow brewers Tom Geese and Zach Terry. Now, Paul began homebrewing while in college at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. We won't hold that against him. One day while riding his bike down Madison State Street, which is kind of their main street, he saw a sign that read, brew beer for cheaper than you can buy it. So Paul was sold, and for $85, he purchased the kit and sealed his fate. Now, after graduation, Paul and Amy moved to Kalamazoo, Michigan, where Paul joined a home brew club. Paul said brewing became a hobby that got out of control. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Yeah, that sounds right. Like you get you get hooked. Like what? I can like I can brew for cheaper than buying beer, and then you start spending gobs of money on the right. equipment and everything. What, and you what, get carried away. What they don't tell you is that yeah, for five gallons of beer. It's cheaper if you make it at home. But if you're just buying a six pack. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not to mention the amount of time that you dedicate to this thing. But that's cool. That's all right. So the club was always looking for new things to brew. And with his degree in microbiology, brewing beer allowed Paul to utilize his educational background. Uh, he said, there's a lot of science behind brewing beer. Brewing is a little bit of engineering with all the equipment to deal with. It's a little bit of fluid mechanics because it's a lot of fluid motion that needs to be transferred. It's microbiology with the yeast and the sanitation. <laughs> the sanitization stuff there's chemistry involved and there's physics because you're dealing with gases under pressure so i love this perspective right that beer is such an equalizer on one hand you have paul a trained microbiologist utilizing years of study to perfect the art of brewing and on the other hand you have us just a couple of idiots unknowingly dicking around with all these scientific <laughs> disciplines to make fermented bread water that gets us buzzed right don't make it taste so good we wouldn't drink so much of it like we wouldn't just sit here and chug this beer but did you realize that you were a scientist um, not, as a home brewer? Not quite like that. I don't talk about fluid transfer. Yeah, the in fluid that way. Yeah, I was blown away. Like, what a cool perspective to have, where it's like all of these little details that just go unnoticed to the the average home brewer. Like, this is like what gets Paul going on this, and it's just yeah. it's a really neat perspective. So while living in Kalamazoo, Paul and Amy discussed and almost bought a brewery that was for sale. They decided against it as Paul wasn't comfortable with the business decision. He said, quite honestly, I'm the science guy and the activity guy, but I'm not the business guy. Enter Paul's brother, Mark. While sitting down over Thanksgiving dinner in 2015, Mark told Paul that North Platte needed a brewery. Paul's response was, every town needs a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> but with Mark's business degree and experience with distribution logistics, Paul and Amy were confident enough to finally pull the trigger. 
Amy couldn't have been happier to see Paul's dream finally in motion. She said, for 20 years, I just see Paul's face light up and some immense creativity occurring with his beers. To see him like that, you know this is what he was born to do. So on March 17th, 2017, only a few short years after that fateful Thanksgiving dinner, Powell's Brewing opened in North Platte, Nebraska. Now, if you're wondering where the name Powell's Brewing came from, Amy told me that Paul started homebrewing in the 90s when Nintendo was a big deal. You had to have a three-letter name for Nintendo, so Paul's was Pal. After years of homebrewing, his beer got nicknamed Pal's Brew, and Pal's Brewing Company was the natural fit. Now, here's another thing that has to do with Paul's science background that I think is utterly fascinating when it comes to this beer. Paul found that chemistry plays a large role in his brewing in a major part to do with North Platte's hard water. Hard water, which is high in calcium, is good for making hoppy beers and stouts. According to Paul, those styles benefit from the chalkiness that calcium can give beer. Rather than being confined to darker, thicker beer styles, though, Paul and his crew purify all their water, and then get this, they formulate a water recipe for every batch. That's pretty cool. You, I mean, water is like the key ingredient that nobody thinks about because water is water is water as right. far as you're concerned. But once you do get into brewing, you realize how much those chemicals in the water really impact everything. Yeah. And I know that when we brew, we occasionally use distilled water or that that's a, that's a big yeah, feature we, of it. Yeah. We mess around with, with it as much as we can. I mean, there's a lot of places around the world that are that are famous for their beer based on the water sure. and, and home brewers and home brewers will try to manipulate the water to match that so mm-hmm. that they can recreate those beers. But yeah, it's interesting to, to think about them recreating water for each beer. Yeah. To go so. through and get your base neutral and then go through and add and subtract the minerals that you want to have in that water to give it its flavor. is just, yeah, I thought it was fascinating and mind blowing. And it's like, yeah, I'm glad a microbiologist is making beer for me because That's what you want is someone to be focused in on those little tiny details. Yeah, absolutely. So Powell's Jerry Light is a Pilsner that doesn't need any calcium carbonate. So it's removed completely. But the English Brown Porter, which we will sample later, needs 160 parts per million of calcium carbonate. And after the water is purified, they add that back in. Paul specializes in brewing Belgian-style beers, and the regulars will tell you that the jalapeno cream ale is a must. The Odinger family takes pride in offering a welcoming environment for the North Platte community. Amy told me that Pals provides a third living room for folks. There's work, home, and Pals. They provide the place to gather. They also provide a nice outdoor spot for community members to host fundraisers, graduation parties, anniversary parties, and even weddings. Pals' website says, We design Pals Brewing Company based on who we are, and if it's warm outside, you can head out to the two-acre outdoor beer oasis to meet new people and play some games. The most rewarding part of all this is listening to the many stories from travelers who just needed a break from the road. This brewery isn't just a business. For us, it's who we are, an extension of us as people. We welcome you to join us anytime because truly, you're always at home with Pals. And that's Pals Brewing out of North Platte, Nebraska. So we've got some beer from them in front of us. Drew, what are we drinking? All right. Yeah, we're drinking Football Saturday. It is a 4.2 ABV. This is a perfect beer for football season. Light, snappy German style ale that's dry hopped with the Czech Saz. And the nice thing about you reading all that stuff about Pals Brewing gave me the opportunity to just sit here and enjoy this beer. It's incredible. It's 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 very drinkable, very light. Snappy is the right word for it. It's got that little bit of lemony yeah. quality to it. And then Football Saturday is a great name for it. It not only lines up with with our podcast, but this is a beer that you could drink a, a, just a ton of 
during a football game yeah. and you're not going to end up ruining your afternoon. What I really like about it is when you think about like, what am I going to eat alongside a football game? It's a lot of salty snacks. It's a lot of heavy stuff. And this mm-hmm. beer, that lemon note is very refreshing. It keeps the beer light. So you're not feeling weighed down by this beer. Yeah. You know, we're recording this at 11 in the morning, which is when Nebraska kicks off more often than not. And it's the perfect beer for 11 in the morning. There are way more cream ales than there are Drew Horsemans in the world. Yeah. I'm the real Drew Horseman, and this is the real cream ale. This is yeah. this is great. Yeah. This it's, is tops. It's really a fantastic beer. If you don't like this beer, you don't like beer. It's a good way to put it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's something that you could give this to someone who loves craft beer, and they're going to appreciate the complexity to this. You could give this someone who's used to drinking domestics, and they're just going to feel like maybe you give them a bit of a shandy or something that's like a light beer with a little bit of lemonade added to it or something like that. It's a really nice beer. It's a great way to start off the tasting from pals. This is what happens when science gets to work and produces beer. Yeah, when science runs into brewing beer cheaper than you can buy it for, (laughs) runs into someone's utter passion that they've been waiting years and years and years to do. And we're the lucky idiots that get to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to keep enjoying this beer and we'll talk a little bit more about pals when we get into sampling their English brown porter down the road. They also have some events coming up at their brewery that we'll talk about as well. But let's get into talking about this wonderful win that Nebraska gave us uh, on Saturday against Buffalo. Ben, this is the game that Scott Frost has been talking about for a few years, where after after things do not break our way, he, and he says, just stick with us. Like We just need to string together a few, a few wins. We need some good things to happen to us. This is the game that I think he was envisioning yeah. when he spoke about that. Like Typical things that we've seen not go our way didn't go our way. Special teams wasn't great. The offensive line struggled to get room for the running backs. Pass protection wasn't always there. The officiating obviously um, took away it. Did not break our way. Of points. Yeah. There were a couple times officiating broke our way because it was bad for Buffalo and it was bad for Nebraska. But that's true. Sorry to interrupt. Well, no, that's but, no. But yeah, yeah. But still, like we points were taken off the board. Oh, yeah. Because of it. Penalties took points off the board, which were penalties that we probably we need to own. And then there were tons of injuries that were kind of piling up. And we, we really had to tap into depth at key piece at key places. Yeah. And we still won. And we won convincingly. Handsomely. Yeah. And that is I think that is so huge for this team to finally have a game where shit was not going their way always. But the explosive plays happened. They kept running the ball. They kept fighting. The defense was playing with their hair on fire, and they won the game soundly against a quality opponent. Absolutely. I have the exact same thing written down as my overall takeaway for the game, and I'm going to read it verbatim. I said, this is the first time I felt like I saw Scott Frost looking like a head coach on the sideline, and I have three examples that really stood out to me, and I want to go over each of those because I think these are important. They're going to sound like little things but they make a huge impact when you're looking at your head coach leading the way for your team. So the first one was in the second quarter, Buffalo was given a first down on a questionable spot and Frost called a timeout to initiate a review. Now in 2020 and last season against Ohio state, Justin field came up short on a fourth down, but Frost didn't stop the game. He didn't try and initiate a review. He didn't do anything. So to me, that's a positive moving forward where it's, even though it's a, an opponent like Buffalo, you're still paying attention to the little things and you're saying, no, Take a look at that because I don't believe it. Now, the call didn't go Nebraska's way. It still wound up being a first down for Buffalo. But the fact that he took the time to do that was a huge step forward. And I think that maybe there might have been some responsibilities in play calling that shifted away from Frost for this game that allowed him to do some of these things. The second moment that stuck with me was on a third down conversion later in the game for Buffalo. 
Cam Taylor Britt broke on an out route and tried to intercept the ball for an easy pick six. And when he was in a position to make a tackle and force a punt, he missed because he went for the pick. Buffalo got the first down. Frost laid into him immediately on the sideline. He was the first person in Cam's ear. Now, had it been a third and long and Frost was getting ready to call the next offensive series and be ready for that, would he have been the one to see that play? Would he have been as active in that moment? So again, I think Frost maybe delegated some of his responsibilities that he was holding close and allowed him to coach and be more aggressive with his players. And I don't say aggressive in anger. I just mean he's actively coaching throughout the game on the whole team, not just the offensive side of the ball. And then we both know the piece de resistance of the (laughs) Scott Frost game was on the illegal forward pass option from Smothers where Frost took a timeout with 10 seconds left on the clock with the sole purpose of chewing out the officials. If that doesn't endear you to Scott Frost as a coach, and I don't think Scott Frost of last year does that. I don't think Scott Frost of any other year does that. But he is now actively fighting for his guys. And it doesn't matter if there's 10 seconds left and you've handily won the game. Those moments matter. You need to be on for all 60 minutes for every single second. And so I was just so happy to see Scott Frost actively coaching throughout the entire game. Nice. I like that. I like those observations a lot. Scott Frost has always talked the talk really well. And he's walked the walk to an extent, but he's still, he's a young coach. He's a new coach and he's, and he's learning every game. And that's why I'll, I will always be in his corner is because he, he himself is showing growth and the team is responding to that as sure. well. So we're watching both the coaches, th- this coach and this team grow together. Absolutely. So let's move into talking special teams. What did you have for your observations on special teams against Buffalo? My thing is, I, I don't know where rock bottom is anymore. With special teams. <laughs> I mean, look, I know, I know, like, it's not, like I said, there's, this is not, this was not a game of all positive right. stuff. Like, we overcame a lot of adversity in the special teams. And we talked about before about we're not trying to pile on to players or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to. Like, if anything, like, Connor Culp is a fucking warrior, right? Like, right. that dude is out on an island right now. And he got put out on an island with his third his third kick to end the game. Like, and you know, that that's that no fear failure failure that Scott Frost talks about. I think he's going through a similar thing that Adrian Martinez went through when Martinez came out in his freshman year and won, you know, all sorts of accolades and, and was projected to have a really great sophomore season and then struggled. Connor Culp won big 10 kicker of the year last year. He's come back and he's struggling. Yeah. We've seen Martinez get through that. I think Connor Culp's a good kid. And I think he's going to make it through there. Yeah. He'll find his foot again. Yeah. Like that didn't, that doesn't go away. Like that just doesn't disappear. You just don't stop being a good kicker. Right. It's a, a it's a big mental game that he's playing right now. Yeah. So, I have all the faith in the world in him, man. I don't want to pile on. Same with like the punt returning stuff. They're obviously rotating different guys out, yeah, trying different guys to see what works. I'm curious though. I I'm curious to hear what you felt when Connor Culp did come out for that final field goal. Great, I was happy. Yeah, I had no problem with it. That was my thing too. In the moment, like hindsight changes a little bit, maybe, but in the moment, I was like, awesome. Like I'm so glad that this is what Frost is doing. You can't recreate live reps in practice, mm-hmm. and if Connor missed his missed his first two, he clearly is going to be practicing field goals and he's probably going to be pretty damn hard on himself. The fact that Frost gave him another live rep against a quality opponent who can get out there and try and block the kick, I had no problem with it. Yeah, Good, kick the field goal. Especially then you look back at uh, Coach Linguist for Buffalo, they scored 69 points against Wagner. So it's like they understand that keeping the foot on the gas is important for the team. This isn't personal. This is more about me continuing to build up my team. Linguist is a young coach. 
Frost is a young coach. They get it. Yeah. I just wonder about like as far as his psyche goes. I think he's fine. Here's here's how I know his psyche's okay. After the game, after he went over three, the media requested to question Connor Culp. Like they requested him for interviews mm-hmm. and he accepted. Connor Culp's fine. Fuck yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't okay. know that, but that's good on him. Yeah, he came out and he answered questions. He came out and he, you know, looked the press in the eye and he answered questions about his kicking and he basically said, You have tough days. You got to move forward. I don't have a problem with Connor Culp. Connor Culp doesn't have a problem with Connor Culp. He's going to be fine. Yeah, I believe it. I want to, I just want to see it now so that. Yeah, well, let me, let me light some things up that I think are positives from this special teams. Cherney and Frankie both had great games. It looks like Cherney's finally adjusting to the speed of the game. He wasn't trying to do too much with his foot. You saw in his first few games that he was trying to bomb it. He was trying to get away from maybe the technique Mm -hmm. and was just trying to be this great Australian punter, the next in the line of many greats. Yesterday, he wasn't trying to do too much. And as a result, Buffalo's average starting field position off Journey's foot was their own 15-yard line. That's pretty damn good. That is nice. Averaging inside the 20 is a very powerful tool for your punter. Yeah, and he pinned him on the two with a real beauty Mm -hmm. that took just a straight-up hop. It did. Journey's only going to get better as he gets more experience, and he's clearly got the technique and the ability. So now it's just a matter of him getting comfortable in that. And then when it came to Frankie, Buffalo's average starting field position off kickoffs was their own 24-yard line. He's putting it to the end zone, but then also when they ask him to execute other kicks or when he's kicking into the wind, Nebraska's kickoff coverage is keeping guys where they need to be. Those are two big takeaways for special teams. Yeah, we can talk about Connor Colt missing kicks, but I'm not worried about that. We can talk about guys not yelling Peter, Peter, Peter when the punt's up in the air and guys clearing out of their space. Those things can be fixed. It's more difficult, I think, if you don't have kickers who can execute and let the rest of the team take care of themselves. And our kickers are getting back into form, which I think is great. Yeah, I should qualify my statement. Like, I don't know where rock bottom is. It means like, I don't know when we're going to bounce back up. Like, I expected us to bounce back up based mm-hmm. on the players that we have in these positions. Sure. And based on the attention that, that they've given to it in mm-hmm. the offseason. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's just like, fucking when? Like, yeah. Hopefully soon. And I, it, and I think will. we're starting to see some of those trends, right? You're seeing the adjustments from the coach, the coaching staff. Cam Taylor-Britt's now taking more of the punts that are happening around midfield, and you've got receivers like Toure taking punts along the goal line. Mm-hmm. So those are adjustments you need to make. And as a coaching staff, we wanted them to do this sooner, but at least they're finally doing it. So the bounce is coming. All right. I'm you don't, bra- you don't I'm bounce bracing very for hard, though, off jagged <laughs> rocks. So... You know, maybe bounce isn't the best word, but the 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 climb is coming. There we go. They're gonna climb out of those jagged ass rocks. And, <laughs> and it jagged might be ass rocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I was gonna say it might be a matter of perspective, right? Like if we're we're so accustomed to seeing special teams error um, errors, it's harder for us to recognize those incremental improvements. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, let's let's get away from special teams and where do you want to go next you want to talk defense or offense um let's let's talk offense let's i want to save the best for last okay i'm cool with that because that is the order my sheet was also in good yeah i really just didn't want to jump around on my notes so (laughs) so what do you have for the offense what were some of the things you liked? didn't like let's hear it the thing that i liked most and i in fact the thing that i loved about this was that they stuck to the run game through this game get out of my mind baby they fuck they did it it's like they're listening to us it's amazing they stuck to it it was not it wasn't pretty it was not great like they were tough tough yards buffalo did a great job not biting on a lot of the pre-stamp movement their linebackers 
stuck to their assignments. Like Buffalo played a really great game. Nebraska was very patient with their play calling and they picked their spots to be aggressive and it paid off in a very big way. Yeah. And I loved watching that. Yeah. Nebraska committed to the run. They, they basically said to their offensive line, you got to go out there and earn it because we're not turning away from this. And the offensive line didn't really rise to the occasion, but they wore down Buffalo enough to where they could start attacking the perimeter. They could start taking over the edges. Buffalo, they loaded the box. They took that away from Nebraska, and they did a great job doing it. But once Nebraska started attacking the edges later in the game, man, it just was a completely different ballgame. I'm curious what your thoughts are. You know, Step didn't really play much in the second half, if at all. And I'm curious if that was more saving him for the opponent because Gabe was working, or is it just because the middle of the field was taken away from them and there was no point? putting step in there yeah i imagine that that was that i think i think it was probably hot hand too yeah they you know they've got four guys that they're obviously rotating they it looks like they're favoring step and Irvin just in general and then morrison gets a lot of those goal line touches and Irvin had a couple of short touchdowns too yeah and then they mix ramir in for like a change of pace but sure. yeah they're gonna i think that they're they're figuring their guys out they're figuring out what pieces they have where they're most effective and and they're playing to whatever the, the opponent is giving them, which is sure. which is it's what you want. It's what you want to see out of your your play calling. Yeah, especially when your offensive line isn't isn't giving them much room to run. You know they they did on a whole not a great job. There were also some times where like receivers whiffed on a block where the offensive line was doing its job. You know, Irvin would find find the edge, but then the receiver misses the block, yeah. and that guy, you know, that safety or or linebacker coming down makes the tackle and we don't get any yards and so it's like even if the offensive line is doing his job there's all if, if we need everybody everybody to to cover their assignment so mm-hmm. i want to talk about the game that adrian martinez played against buffalo because he looked like the adrian martinez that we have been expecting to come back for quite some time he was great against fordham and we wrote it off as a lesser opponent he looked like a stud against buffalo And that's an aggressive downhill defense who's going to come after you. He wasn't sacked. He threw for 242 yards, including two 68-yard touchdowns. And he ran for 115 yards on nine carries. He did a great job of keeping his eyes downfield on Saturday. He didn't run as his first option. And I was just overall so impressed with how he played. Some of my favorite things that he did were some more late pitches that I know you hate, <laughs> but I absolutely love them. They look so good. They do. But when you see a Buffalo defender, like reaching out and you, and you're just, I mean, just a f- like inches away from, from bopping that ball. But to me, that's, that's oh, kind of man. the, that's the, the cockiness and the arrogance you want from your quarterback that he feels confident to make those plays. He needs to be playing with that kind of confidence. Yeah, it is like, he is great at that game part of the game right and he does seem to have like this knack for it or this instinct yeah where it's like he knows how to time those things perfectly yeah looking or not looking right he was accurate downfield with the ball putting yeah. it in Toure's hands in stride for those long touchdowns and that fucking pass flip pitch to hickman which you have dubbed <laughs> what have you called that the hick flick oh my gosh it was a beautiful game from adrian and he just went out and and played his game he's out there having a good time and having fun and he's making plays like he did to Hickman, making those pitches, making those long downfield passes. That's that's where you're like, okay, we got ourselves a baller. We got ourselves a dude. And so moving forward, I just have some confidence, a lot more confidence in Adrian, and I'm so happy to see him playing well again. I agree. Yeah, he's he played he's played a couple really clean games. He's not yeah. turned the ball over. Nope. He's got pieces around him now that are obviously able to really help him out. And then again, the, 
with with Nebraska sticking to giving the ball to their running backs, making Buffalo stay disciplined to stop the run, that makes his running ability and his ability to to read a defense and pick them apart in the pass game that much more effective. Mm-hmm. It I think it just takes pressure off of him. He's not taking as many hits. He's he's able to control the game and use his talent, which is absurd, without feeling the pressure of he has to carry the team. Right. Uh, moving away from Adrian, I want to talk too about Logan Smothers. A lot that we've heard about Logan Smothers is he can't throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. <laughs> we've clearly seen that he can he can sling it. He can be accurate. You may not like his motion or whatever, but when it's game time, you can see why this staff likes Logan Smothers. He knows how to play when he's in a game. Yeah, his mechanics are always funky. I remember even when like watching his high school stuff, mm-hmm. it was just it was goofy looking like. More so even than like Taylor Martinez, who did the weird, the little weird shot little chuck. I don't even yeah. know how to know what that was. He was doing the the hick flip, yeah. hick flick before <laughs> every, it was popular. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, Logan Smothers does look good. And, and again, like he's got, he probably has hopefully another year to develop behind Martinez and really come into his own. But he's going to be another guy that I think plays the way Martinez plays, where yeah. it's like if he's loose and he's having fun, like you said, he's going to excel. Yeah, absolutely. Another guy that was really impressive this game who I think needs to be on the field more often, and I know I'm not alone in that, is Xavier Betts. He gets that uh, jet sweep, and he takes off on that. He's not a guy who looks fast, but his stride is so long that he just moves downfield. And then that little tip drill to himself. Oh, yeah. It's like... That coordination, like the hand-eye coordination that that has to Yeah, it's it's like... Did they, was that planned? You you know, you see it and it's so <laughs> right. smooth when it happens. Yeah, that's what playmakers do is is when somebody makes a mistake, when Martinez underthrows the ball, Xavier Betts is there to wiggle around the defender, tip it to himself, make the catch, score a touchdown, what should have been a touchdown. Yeah. And, and that's something that Nebraska has not had across the board. Like we've had a guy here and there who we've abused probably, but now we have options right playmaking options which is which is incredible to see and that's where nebraska's made mistakes and they haven't had enough people to overcome those mistakes Mm -hmm. and now we're starting to see what happens when you do have guys at different levels who can overcome mistakes it starts to hide some of those warts yeah so is there anything else that you want to wrap up on the offense drew yeah real quick i just wanted to say it was nice to see the next man up mentality taking effect with the tight ends and with the receivers, with injuries piling up, we saw Chris Hickman, uh, we saw Nate Borkercher step up and make some plays, and Brody Belt were getting involved in the receiving game here and there. Like, it was just nice to see, like, cool. Austin Allen went down, and that was a gut punch. Mm-hmm. Um, you hope he's well. You hope he's back. But if not, like, we at least have some reassurance that we've got guys there that can still make plays. It reminded me a little bit of the movie Moneyball, where early in the game or in the movie, the Athletics have just traded away Jason Giambi. They've just lost Giambi to the Yankees. And it's like we're not trying to replicate Jason Giambi. We're trying to replicate his productivity. We lose Austin Allen. We're not trying to replicate Austin Allen, but we do have this core group of guys who can make up that productivity. And they showed it in their resilience and in their effectiveness across the field, they turned to four other guys who equally made plays of importance, who got good yards. Brody Belt's catch up the middle wasn't just a great catch, but the yards after contact and the way he worked his way to get the first down, like that showed great heart, great grit. And so to see these guys come in and to make up the productivity that might have been missing from some of those injuries was awesome. I couldn't agree with you more on that. Great overall game for the offense. 
Uh, and it's just really promising seeing that they can put points up on the board against a quality defense like Buffalo. Yeah. All right. You ready to talk about defense? Yeah, let's dig into the defense. Talk about some defense. defense. I want to start real quick. Please. Here's my list of opportunities. I'm going to say them and then I'm going to shut up. The defense played a great game. So here's here's my issues. Get off the field on third downs. Play tighter coverage on longer downs and third downs. And find some way to get a pass rush. Those are my complaints. Let's talk about what was fun. We don't, I, yeah, I won't, I won't elaborate on any of that. I think that's all. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Luke Reimer. Because boy, did he have a game. Spoiler alert, is he your MVP? Yeah. He's, he's my, my MVP. Yeah, he's my MVP. Oh, yeah, Luke Reimer he's played. everybody's MVP. Yeah. What a game he played. Yeah, it was crazy. So I did, I did not get to watch his game live. I was listening on the radio as much as I could. I kept hearing his name. And then early on, too, it wasn't like, it wasn't like he just had that one big play, that one interception that kind of changed the game, which he did. Yeah. He was just he was there throughout the game, and and so very early on, you know, I'm, I'm thinking as I'm listening, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, kind of plan like what am I gonna say? Reimer, Reimer was the name. I was like, cool, like that dude, that dude's gonna be the MVP, and he just kept he just kept trucking on, kept it. producing. Yeah, yep. it was yeah, it was, and it, and then getting to watch the game after the fact, you know, and look for him and look for those plays. Yeah, he was everywhere. He was mm-hmm. flying on the field. His lateral speed, you know, catching up to to running backs on the opposite side was great. Yeah. And then of course they have the interception big time momentum changer there. Yeah. My favorite play of Luke's was one that might kind of go overlooked, but there was about six minutes left in the fourth quarter and Buffalo ran some short crossing routes. Reimer saw the pass broke on the receiver uh, to make the tackle install the drive. The ball hit Reimer in the gut uh, and he didn't intercept it. It could have been an, an interception in probably six points, but he was so focused on playing with, out selfishness he wasn't trying to get the stat he was trying to get the tackle that stopped the drive that continued to lead towards this defense winning the game he was playing his assignment he hit the receiver he was just focused on making the tackle he wasn't focused on trying to get the glory I mean it was just about winning as a team and he just did his part on that team and and that to me was just impressive shows you the kind of player he is that even when the ball is literally in your gut he was so focused on like, I know I can make that tackle and I'm going to make that play because that ends the drive. Yeah, it was an impressive performance on his behalf, but there were a lot of other guys that still jumped out mm-hmm. um, who played great games or had great moments. I was most impressed by just the linebackers. Nick Heinrich had a good game. Yeah, Garrett Nelson showed up a lot in the backfield. And then along the line, Damian Daniels and Ty Robinson were there. Yep. I felt like our safeties had a great game, yep. both Williams and uh, and Dismuke. So it was just it was impressive to see the defense clicking on all three levels, yeah, and and kind of getting a glimpse of of what like what they're going to continue to grow into because sure. that's what Shenander does is he he in his three years so far like they've always gotten better as the season wore on mm-hmm. and if this is our starting point if that trend continues the the idea of what they can be like when we're matching up against Iowa late in the year is just it's in, it's just mm, it's incredible like yeah. it gives me chills like it's it's tough after a game like this after stringing it together with Fordham to not drink the kool-aid too much and i think we're gonna get some humble pie we yeah um, we might, we might. coming up but at the same time you are seeing a lot of good things that you may not have been expecting or that are finally living up to what we've been hearing in the off season is this is going to be a stout defense they're going to be difficult to score points against they're going to bend a little bit but they won't break so we're starting to see all of those things come to fruition so it's just nice to have some evidence to back up the hypothesis yeah it's nice to it's nice to have heard 
how great these players are going to be mm-hmm. and then to see them yeah. be great. Great game for the defense. Great game for the offense. A lot of good things that happened. There's still stuff to work on. But overall, you got to feel good walking out of that game. So even though we've already spoiled it, who is your MVP for the game? Yeah, it was. I, I mean, it's it's Luke Reimer on defense and Adrian Martinez on offense. I don't know if you... I mean, I guess you go with Luke Reimer because you want to go for like the the guy that's not expected. Everybody wants to cheer... For, everybody wants to like award the quarterback for the game. Um, but yeah, I, I can't choose between the two. They, sure. they both played a hell of a game. That's it. That's I mean, that's it. So I agree with you wholeheartedly that to me, my two MVPs as well were Luke and Adrian. I'm going to pick a defensive MVP because I feel like the defense played a hell of a game. It's something that we cherish and value as Nebraska fans. And the best player on the defense, like you said, you just heard his name called constantly, was Luke Reimer. Came up with a big interception, had other great tackles and brought guys down when they could have easily continued on, got bigger gains and maybe scored touchdowns, things like that. So I'm going to go for Luke, but Adrian uh, is my second place. And if I had to pick a special teams MVP, uh, I'm going to go with Journey because he had a great game as well. And he's starting to come into his comfort zone and prove why Nebraska wanted a guy from Australia. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about why all those guys are going to beat Oklahoma. <laughs> well, first, we got to we get another do, beer. I think we got to drink a little more before we can. And get then to that we'll point. start talking about Oklahoma. Yeah. Let's talk about what we are now drinking from Powell's Brewing Company. So, Drew, why don't you tell us about what is in our glass at the moment? All right. We are drinking the English Brown Porter. It's 4.7% ABV, another session. This is a smooth drinking sessional uh, English style porter with a chocolate finish. And I got to say, like, it, it lines up with exactly that description. It's, yeah. it's smooth. It doesn't have that, that acrid sort of taste that you get with a lot of stouts. Not at all. Definitely drinkable. Flavorful, though. It's, it's fun to, to find a beer that comes in with the low alcohol content that's, that you can just kind of like put back, but still packs a ton of flavor in there. Yeah. Like all that chocolate, all that coffee in there. All great. I'm I'm impressed. This would be great to have with dinner. This would be great to have by the fire. This would be great to just sit down and sit down and relax after a long day and just kick one back. You know, hey, I'm only going to have one beer tonight, but I'm going to have one that packs a nice, comforting punch. Yeah. I don't know who says, hey, I'm going to have one beer tonight, but <laughs> if you're that person, this might be the beer for you. Um, one of the things I wanted to dive into on this is this might be a word that people are seeing more and more when it comes to craft beer, and that word is session or sessional, and, and what does that mean? For craft beer-initiated folks, this is going to be a familiar term, but for folks who are maybe new to it, this is a good way to kind of explore some of these more flavorful beers or some of these more intimidating beer styles look for a session beer session beer is not defined by flavors or aromas instead what makes a session beer is primarily refreshment and drinkability any style of beer can be made lower in strength than described in the classic style guidelines and when we say lower in strength we're talking about the abv or the alcohol by volume the goal should be to reach a balance between the style's character and the lower alcohol content now, drinkability is a factor in the overall balance of these beers, but the beer will not exceed a 5% ABV. So if you're curious about trying a triple IPA, but you also see it's a session, or if you're trying a porter and you see it's a sessional porter, what that means is the alcohol content is going to be lower. So you're not going to get some of those astringent or the alcohol bite that you might find in these beers. You're going to get something that focuses more on the flavor of that beer style. 
And you're going to have a really nice experience to get an idea of what that beer style tastes like without having to fight the alcohol. So when we say that this English Brown Porter is a sessional porter, it's going to be lower than 5% ABV. So you really do get that flavorful explosion as you're, as you're taking a sip. Yeah. And I always look for sessionals when I, when I know I'm, I'm going to have a long day of drinking. Um, like I'm somebody's, <laughs> somebody's <laughs> twisting my arm. Like, oh, fine, I guess. Oh, it's a day um, off. Oh, yeah. it's. This is this sessions are, are great for when you want to drink a lot without getting hammered. You want you want, you maybe want to have a full day of drinking or you want to explore a bunch of different beers without maybe just going for just a flight. Yeah. So Pals Altogether has some excellent beer and it's been a joy to drink what they have to offer. Uh, before we move on to Oklahoma, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. The Guild is a professional organization that protects the craft brewing industry in Nebraska. The Guild's main focus is to encourage folks of a legal drinking age to drink Nebraska beer through promotion, education, and events like the Western Nebraska Craft Beer Festival on September 18th. Now, I'm going to paint a picture for you, Drew. Are you ready? All right. Give me your best man go. Yeah. Close your eyes. I'm more of a uh, uh, Bob Ross, <laughs> less <laughs> yeah. of Van Gogh. Pretty trees. More, right, I'm go. more Happy like trees. a, yeah, a, yeah, a guy following Bob Ross who, who <laughs> is trying to paint while following along on PBS going, slow down, Bob! <laughs> <laughs> so the Western Nebraska Craft Beer Festival is taking place in North Platte at Powell's Brewing Company on September 18th. And they picked the perfect time. The festival starts at 3 p.m. The Oklahoma kickoff is at 11 a.m. That's four hours from kickoff until the beer festival. So let me just say, if you decided to go to this beer festival, you could drive out to North Platte, find a great bar or restaurant or somewhere with TVs to watch the game. And then when the game ends... Head over to Pals and experience 16 of Nebraska's craft brewers all in one place on their beer oasis where they have live music. They're going to have cornhole. They're going to have great people you can hang out, all these different beers you can try, a lot of which we've covered on the show so far, some of which who are coming in the future and some that we haven't gotten to yet. So please, please, please make your way out to Pals and hang out at the Western Nebraska Craft Brewers Festival. That was a beautiful picture. That was a that was a Van Gogh wrapped in a Picasso wrapped in a Rembrandt. Oh, nice. That was lovely. It that was... the idea of that Saturday. I want to live that. And so should you. Okay. So if you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG simply by attending the NCBG sponsored events, joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance, or simply visiting your favorite Nebraska craft breweries. For a list of all the active Nebraska craft breweries, visit wannabewalkons.com and click on the checklist under the beer tab. Did you say tab or tap? Uh, this time tab. Most other times it is tap. Okay. Well, let's get into talking about our upcoming game this weekend, and that is Nebraska versus the Oklahoma Sooners. Who? I, I They're this new team this, yeah. that Nebraska's <laughs> never had an, a history of playing. So let's run down just the facts before we start talking about the different facets of the game. Nebraska travels to Norman, Oklahoma to take on the Oklahoma Sooners at 11 a.m. on Fox's Big Noon kickoff. Nebraska is coached by Scott Frost in his fourth season as head coach with a season record of 2-1 and one after a win against Buffalo. 
Oklahoma is coached by Lincoln Riley in his fifth season as head coach with a season record of 2-0 after a 76-0 win over Western Carolina. The spread opened with Oklahoma on Sunday as the obvious favorite at 19.5 points. So, Drew, what do you want to talk about first? Okay, let's start. We'll start with special teams, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go off notes here, off my notes. All right. Okay, I'm ready. I'm gonna go off script. That's the phrase. Oh, you're gonna go literally go away from your notes, not off. You're not gonna read off of your notes. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, because you have you brought me back up on my special teams just a touch, just a touch enough to where I'm gonna let go of all the negativity I'm feeling around that aspect of the game. And I'm just going to trust that we're bouncing back. We're bouncing back. And this is the week. And I'm not saying like, I'm not saying special teams is going to be perfect. I'm not saying that special teams is going to win us this game, but we hit rock bottom and we're bouncing back. Yeah. Off those jagged ass rocks. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's all, that's all I can say. That's, that's my off, my off script. We're okay. bouncing back. Okay, so for me, for special teams, when we're looking ahead at Oklahoma, I really like where Nebraska was at against Buffalo. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a fun special teams game. I think we're going to execute the kickoff, the punt, all of that is going to be great. And I think Connor Culp's going to come back into form. I'm not worried about him. He's going to rise to the occasion. That's what Nebraska typically has played down to opponents. And I think that mentally strong players like Connor Culp are able to play up to a team like Oklahoma. Okay, but let's talk about Oklahoma special teams. No. And their special teams <laughs> comes down to one name. Uh-huh. It's five letters, four of which are consonants, and his name is Gabe Burkich. It's spelled B-R-K-I-C, and it's pronounced Burkich. I spent too long trying to figure out how to pronounce <laughs> that name. Against Tulane, and I'm not going to talk about them against uh, against Western Carolina, but against Tulane, Burkich made three from 50-plus setting an FBS record. In 2020, he was better from 50-plus than he was from 40 to 49. The guy's got a leg. Dang. So once Oklahoma crosses midfield, they're within scoring distance, which is something that's kind of terrifying to think about, but it tells you how important special teams are, that as soon as midfield or maybe the 40-yard line gets crossed, you've got to start to cinch up because Oklahoma can take advantage through their special teams. Yeah, and that's, you know what, that's scary because it's not a guaranteed three points. Right. That is... A, an offensive play caller who has three points in their back pocket. And so on certain plays, they can get aggressive and they can take a shot at the end zone and go for six. Yeah. And and Nebraska doesn't necessarily have that. It's going to change the way that Oklahoma calls their game. So Oklahoma's punter, Reeves Munchau, is equally effective at his job. His name's Munchau? Yeah, M-U-N-D-S-C-H-A-U. Reeves Munchau. <laughs> he sounds like he should be a villain along the similar veins of like the most dangerous game or Dr. Moreau. <laughs> like, <laughs> Do not get in on an Don't get on an island with this guy. <laughs> yeah. So in 2020, 43% of Munchau's punts wound up inside the 20. So Oklahoma's got a special teams game that they can really rely on. They don't have to rely on him to punt very often, but when he does, he puts the ball where it needs to go. The great teams in college football are great at special teams, and Oklahoma's no exception. Yeah. One of the things that I've wanted from this staff is for them to bring in a special teams coordinator, and I felt like that was really important, that they really they did, they had a one guy that just focused on controlling that aspect of the game. And and really, it was almost more symbolic. Like, this is special teams are as important as offense and defense, and so we're going to give it the attention it deserves. And so I was, I was looking into that. Oklahoma does not have a special teams 
coordinator. They don't have a dedicated person. Which is terrifying when you see how effective they are at special teams. Yeah. And so, and that, but that makes you realize like it's not, it's not necessary. It, it's, it's not about having a coach to handle that. It's about having a, just a team mentality of understanding we're going to focus on the details. We're going to be good in every aspect of the game. And, and that, you know, Oklahoma can accomplish that. Yeah. And so, and I think Nebraska can too. Yep. Well, that starts at the top down. I mean, that starts with your head coach putting an emphasis on that. And that's all your assistants buying into that. That's how you practice and that sort of thing. And you're starting to see Nebraska come with that mentality. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. Right. Yeah. Yeah, We're, we are climbing slowly back out of that hole. Hopefully. Yeah. We don't need a coach to focus on it. We need everybody to focus on it. All right. Let's talk offense. Whose? Ours. Okay. I don't know. Offense in general. What are you feeling about this one? So against Tulane, Oklahoma struggled with the quarterback run. They struggled with the quarterback scramble. They have a very solid pass rush. They can get into your backfield quick. Or sometimes you can use their speed against them and your quarterback can slip away and get some chunk yardage on quarterback scrambles. The two-lane quarterback was able to run around a little bit and we saw how effective Adrian could be uh, from the quarterback scramble. We've seen that his entire time at Nebraska. So I think that that could be something that's effective against Oklahoma's defense. Yeah. And if, if Martinez plays clean like he has been, then that is a weapon for us as opposed to when we see him scrambling around back there and we're like, just please hold on to the ball. Right. It's a big difference there. My, my thing that I, that I took away from, from Buffalo at least was that we finally have just playmakers that can change a game. Mm-hmm. They can make game-changing plays when you don't expect them or yeah. when when all other aspects are failing. We just got guys that are going to turn things around or change momentum. So when I think about like upsetting a team like Oklahoma, it comes from those explosive plays. It comes from catching a team off guard or from you know struggling to, struggling to run the ball but still pounding at it, pounding at it, and pounding at it, and then popping off that big touchdown and changing momentum. So that, to me along with having depth at the playmaking positions is a recipe for an upset. Yeah. And I don't want to like give away too much about where my hopeful little mind is headed, but Nebraska's offense is starting to show just enough, just enough where if everything breaks correctly, they're going to look pretty, pretty damn good against almost anybody. Sure. One of the other things that I did want to touch on, and you kind of mentioned that as well, when it comes to focusing in on the run, is Oklahoma's defensive line isn't the most stout against a power run. Tulane was able to be very effective when loading the box on offense and and really pushing hard and trying to get their defensive line to move. Oklahoma's defense is predicated on speed, and so the perimeter is actually more difficult to attack on Oklahoma than getting a good push. So if the offensive line can find their uh, inner animal and really make some way on that defensive line. I think you can take advantage of Oklahoma in that front. And that's why earlier when I asked you, why do you think Step was sidelined? I think Step is actually going to be a big part of this game against Oklahoma because he's different than the type of run. He's different than the type of running back that Oklahoma is used to seeing. He is a big 10 running back. He's a big bodied guy who's going to run downhill at you. Whereas a lot of guys in the Big 12 are looking to dance around similar to maybe a Ramir Johnson or a Gabe Irvin. So I think that the reason that Step might have been taken out of the game without being the workhorse that we saw against Buffalo, which he probably would have eventually broke through some nice long runs, is I think they were just saying, you know what, 
wait, this isn't your game. We can attack the perimeter with Irvin, with Ramir, and we're going to we're gonna save you, keep you fresh, because I do think that that is a way that you can take advantage of Oklahoma's defense. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about Nebraska right now is they have that option. If, if one plan of attack isn't working, let's try something else. Let's try to hit him up the middle. Um, and they have Yant back there as yeah. well, who's a big bruiser, mm-hmm. who we might might see then he's got fresh legs yeah so on the opposite end of where nebraska might succeed the other side of that are guys like jalen redmond for oklahoma who have no issue getting into the backfield adrian is going to have to be making his mind up pretty damn quick when it comes to playing against oklahoma if he's throwing the ball he's going to have to find an open guy and hit him quick if he's doing a run read he needs to decide whether he's handing that ball off or running for himself oklahoma has Plenty of pass rushers at their disposal. They're going to get in the backfield and they are going to take advantage of a quarterback who's indecisive. And so I want to see Adrian go out there playing, having fun, being loose and being decisive. Whether it's the right decision or the wrong decision in that singular play, to me, that doesn't matter. That's where turnovers happen is when you're indecisive. Yeah. The run read is the thing that kind of worries me about Adrian Martinez more than his passing game. But we've seen him make the wrong read. They lose a yard or two, and then he comes back on the next play, makes the correct read, and then uses his athleticism just to beat guys. Right. Oklahoma's a huge step up in competition, obviously. So whether he's going to be able to just be better than than the guys lining up opposite him, I, you know, I don't know on a play to play basis how that's going to work out. I mean, he's again, he's he's an incredible player. He's he's a phenomenal athlete, and he can make special plays. So yeah, decision making will be incredibly important because his athleticism might not always win the day right. or win the play. It doesn't have to be the right read every time. It just has to be a read and go. Are you talking about no fear of failure? Pretty much. Oh. Right? I'm talking about there's a phenomenon called resulting, right? Where you're focused more on the result, less about the quality of the decision. And what you have to do is focus on the quality of the decision. And so if he is just making strong decisions at the appropriate time Nebraska's at least not going to be further and further behind. They might lose a yard or two, but then that just leaves the play turnover free. It leaves the play from having something go cataclysmically wrong. I can't believe I got cataclysmically out somehow. (laughs) It leaves you for the next down to go out there and do something and take advantage of your athleticism. You know, always play for that next down. I guess is the point I'm trying to make. I got you. Yeah, it's I mean, it's understanding that you're the competition you're going up against, they're going to beat you yeah. on plays. So no matter what you do, you're going to lose something. Mm-hmm. Can you mitigate what you lose? Can you control what you lose on yeah. this play and then try to take advantage of the next? So that's how I feel about Nebraska's offense versus Oklahoma's defense. I don't know if there's anything else you want to touch on when it comes to the offense. No, the, I guess the only thing I wanted to touch on was, you know, Oklahoma, we know, struggled against Tulane. That was an, an upset bid by the Green Wave. And I was looking at, at what Tulane did against them running the ball because I was curious. They totaled 32 carries for 100 yards, including their quarterbacks, and they still almost beat this team. Nebraska against Buffalo. Just our running backs had 31 carries for 106 yards. You talked about Martinez making decisions. If he makes plays, like he could be, again, a difference maker in this game. Oklahoma almost got beat by Tulane, of all teams. Nebraska struggled to run the ball against Buffalo. Tulane struggled to run the ball against Oklahoma. You don't need to be able to run the ball on this team to beat them. And I think, 
I think Martinez is that, I guess, that X factor, to use the cliche. Yeah. And he could be a difference maker here. Sure. I'm really, really, really trying hard not to buy into the hope that we could win this game. Good for you. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that a win is necessarily necessary. No, it's not. No, you can be redundant. It's not. It's not necessary to see improvement to feel good. You know, if if we go, you don't even have to go toe to toe. Like you just have to not get totally swamped by Oklahoma to feel good. So moving away from talking about Nebraska's offense versus Oklahoma's defense, let's turn our attention to what Oklahoma is best known for, which is their offense and Spencer Rattler's aerial assault versus Nebraska's defense that they're starting to hang their hat on. Drew, what are your thoughts on how this offense matches up against Nebraska's defense? Well, I'm, I'm really excited to see where our defense really stands because this is going to be the big test. Yeah. You know, we when we've come up against these high-flying offenses like Ohio State in the past, we just get kind of ripped apart. And so it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, we're, we're high on that defense right now. They've looked really good, especially these past couple of games. Um, even against Illinois, they were, you know, they, they still had a good game, even if they gave up more points. It'll be, it'll be fun to watch what they can do against truly a top-quality offense yeah I'm actually kind of confident on this approach and this is where my prediction tends to skew towards Nebraska's favor when I was doing my research on Oklahoma I felt if Nebraska can hold Buffalo's offense uh, their running attack I think they can hold Oklahoma's running attack now my case in point is that in the first quarter against Tulane Oklahoma had the ball on the one yard line so it was first and goal one yard line and Tulane stiffed Oklahoma's Brooks Kennedy if you take away his 32-yard run against Tulane, Kennedy averages four yards a carry. Kevin Marks, uh, uh, the Buffalo running back against Nebraska, averaged about four yards a carry with only one 30-yard downfield run. So they match up fairly similarly, where Nebraska was able to hold Buffalo to a similar approach to what Oklahoma is consistent with. And that gives me a lot of confidence that really we're having to focus in on the run, shutting that down, and then paying great attention to their passing game, where our passing defense can play tight with these guys we've got a lot of playmakers on our our defensive side of the ball and I really like the athleticism of our linebackers against the crossing routes I like the sure tackling that we've seen from Nebraska's defense so I think there are a lot of great matchups to taking advantage of Oklahoma's run game and really shutting that down and then focusing on that aerial assault yeah I think the speed of our linebackers especially what they displayed against Buffalo is a huge plus seeing our safeties being able to come down and stop runs in this game was also good to see and then our cornerbacks didn't didn't have a huge statistical game but that's good but we, that's a good thing right yeah. yeah it's it's good if i don't if if cam taylor Britt is like way on the like bottom end of my list of top playmakers and i love cam taylor Britt. yeah we know that yeah <laughs> tells you what sort of a game we had that's a that's a very positive thing yeah um to me it starts with the linebackers and what they're able to do because nebraska relies on their linebackers to be so versatile because they're the ones that are really kind of um coaching up the team and and calling plays on on the field so yeah i I like the way that we stack up against this offense i'm and i'm i'm again i'm just excited to see where we really measure sure sure so do you want the good news or the bad news start me with the bad and then bring me back up Okay, so the bad news is Spencer Rattler has every reason to trust his arm and make throws in small windows. In all of 2020, he only threw seven interceptions to 28 touchdowns and completed 67.5% of his passes. That's okay. I mean, that's that's good. So 
I think that there's some good with the bad when it comes to Spencer Radler. He is a confident quarterback, but the guy doesn't run for shit. He only averaged 14 yards per game on the ground. And so he's not someone where you really have to rely on your defense to keep a spy on him and lose a guy in the, in the field of play and that sort of thing. So that's good to know. Like it's Nebraska struggles against all court. I mean, all running any, any running quarterback ever. So the part of Oklahoma's offense that does concern me when you match them up against Nebraska's defense is Oklahoma is so effective at maintaining the pocket for Rattler and the way they do it is so smart and fun to watch. They're incredibly athletic and their scheme is very good when it comes to holding that pocket. Rattler is at his best when he's passing on the move, but he still has a pocket surrounding him. So that offensive line moves with him and maintains that pocket. So it forces the defense to play outside their comfort zone, right? You've got your guys up front who aren't just trying to go downhill or break a double team. They're now having to move to their left and right to hold that pocket or to try and breach that for a pass rush. Pass rush, And Nebraska already struggles with a pass rush. But then Oklahoma will switch to a traditional pocket. And so you start to get the defense that's going against Oklahoma to question, okay, are we rolling out? Are we going straight down normal? Is it going to be, what, what is this pocket going to look like? And so the the Oklahoma offense uh, and their line has this extra split second where they know what's coming, but the defense doesn't. And it requires the defense to adjust. And by switching this variable, opposing defenses really have a hard time getting pressure on Rattler. So what concerns me is with Nebraska already having a hard time with that pass rush and Oklahoma's offensive line scheme, that's just going to be a continued pain point in this game. And that's where Oklahoma, to me, has a huge advantage is they're going to be able to take the time to pick apart the secondary. So if our guys aren't playing tight coverage and Spencer Rattler has pretty damn decent accuracy, they might be able to pick us apart pretty easily. That's a key to almost any game for this defense is like, are we going to generate pressure on the quarterback? Mm-hmm. Is that ever going to happen? Um, we're waiting for it to really come to fruition. It's the one thing I think that you can really point to this defense and say that's that's where they're lacking. Mm-hmm. If Nebraska cannot generate pressure against the quarterback, what they could at least try to do is put Oklahoma in more predictable situations keep them in third and eight you know make it so that we know they're going to pass the ball and so even if they are trying to move that pocket even if they are trying to scheme we at least have some semblance of an idea of what they're going to try to do on this play yeah i think that's going to be critical for for our defense make oklahoma an obvious team and then when it comes to third downs really be aggressive really send the extra guys try and get a pass rush on rattler and force your defensive playmakers to make some plays yeah are they going to do it? You want to talk? You want to jump into predictions? You just like to jump into those predictions without I know. Us touching gotta, on what we, gotta, we have to do. We got to drink first. We do have to drink first. Before we dive into our predictions for the Oklahoma game, we'd like to raise a glass to our opponent and sample a beer local to their university. We call this the Sportsman Sip. For this extra special game, we hooked up with an extra special brewery from Norman, Oklahoma, 405 Brewing Company. 405 was the first craft brewery in Norman and continues to lead the charge for community-driven and experimental craft beer. They encourage guests to not only sample their beer, but go mad scientists and blend their own brews. Do you like that IPA you're drinking but wish it had a hint of tartness? Try dropping in a quarter pint of sour. Want to beef up that wit you're drinking? Maybe a splash of chocolate stout will give you the depth you were craving. In honor of the playfulness and joy 405 brings to brewing, we are going to try a blend of our own. 
Now, I'm not a fan of sours, but we are going to blend 405's SSF 2021. It's a slushy style sour with strawberry puree, fresh watermelon, and lemonade. We'll mix that with Nightlight, a blonde ale with light tones of citrus and vanilla malt. So, Drew, we blended your beer, which was about a a quarter sour mixed with three quarters of a blonde ale, and I did the three quarters sour with a quarter of a blonde ale. What are you thinking about your beer? As everybody knows, I am not a sour drinker. And cutting it with the Blondale has made it very drinkable. It's It gives me like a nice little like, almost like a burn in the nose from that sourness, but I'm not puckering. It's very fruity. That watermelon is coming through. It's drinkable. It's like, it's like if you ever, if you ever tap into just a lemonade on a, on a hot day, mm-hmm. it's just pleasant, sugary, lemonade goodness. Yeah. And mine does a similar thing, right? I tried the beer, just the sour by itself. And it was a very sour. It was kind of like a competition sour between other breweries in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And so they produced a very sour three pounds of fruit per gallon, which, which is, is a ton. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a very sour note, but then just adding a splash of that Blondale really opened it up. The ripe watermelon and the, the grassiness of the strawberry and, and a lot of those flavors really start to open up just by having that little bit of cut to that sour. So it's a really fun way to explore uh, what you can do with these beers just by blending them a little bit, which isn't something that I've done. I don't think ever. I do, I, I try to like almost protect the sanctity of a beer. It's like, yeah. you know, a brewer made this beer and they wanted it this way. Mm-hmm. And they, it was, it, if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for me. I want to, I want to try their creation but 405 encourages the blending. Yeah. And you can see where, again, like, you know, somebody who doesn't necessarily enjoy a style, but if you if you put on your science coat, right, you put it yeah. on your goggles and it's you do your si- experiment. A it, science it, heavy it episode. Is, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. You can, you can create something that fits more what, what you're looking for in a beer. Uh, it was a fun experiment. It tastes delicious. So cheers to 405 Brewing and cheers to yeah, the cheers, Oklahoma Sooners. Thanks for the beer. So if you're traveling to Norman, Oklahoma, we cannot recommend 405 Brewing Company enough. They are worth a visit and a couple of beers. So after the game, grab an Uber or a DD and hit up the 12-minute drive to 405 Brewing from the Norman, Oklahoma Stadium. So now it's time for the thing that Drew was jumping the gun on, which is our Oklahoma predictions. You want me to go first or you want to go first? Let me tear them loose from their shoes with my prediction. Before you read yours, I want to give your two early predictions. So here's what you said when we covered Oklahoma preseason, which was that Nebraska would lose to Oklahoma 37 to 21. That was a very reasonably minded Drew Horseman. That was a, that was somebody who had looked objectively at all the facts, understood how football works and knew that Oklahoma would beat Nebraska handily. I am on a roller coaster this season. I am up and down in a way that is just I'm I'm all over the place. Is it a roller coaster like the Mamba at Worlds of Fun, or are we talking a roller coaster that you might find at Miller Days, where it's just that dragon that goes <laughs> <laughs> just over humps? It's like it's like if if you were on the Mamba, like that excitement, but with the terrifying reality of a traveling sort of the the traveling circus or what you know like yeah you know how miller days it's like okay you're around the carny folk like how much did they inspect this equipment before they put human bodies on it yeah i'm on that ride okay so i am i'm a hundred foot drop and who knows who's looked at this (laughs) machinery okay here we go here's the story about lincoln riley he played high school football in muleshoe texas and he led his team to the semifinals in the state championship 
His coach at the time said of him, as we walked into the old Texas stadium, that everyone was ooing and eyeing entering the stadium, and he was just all business. He was poised and focused. If you looked deep into his eye, you could tell he was playing the game before it even started. Folks, Lincoln Riley has played this game in his mind before it started, and let me tell you what he saw. A confident Nebraska squad rolls into Norman fresh off a 28-3 victory over Buffalo, a score that could and should have been a whole lot better for the Cornhuskers. The defense has playmakers at all three levels, and Spencer Rattler is about to be renamed Spencer Rattled. America meet Ty Robinson. With Robinson occupying Oklahoma's backfield and the linebackers continuing to show great speed, the Oklahoma offense fails to light up the scoreboard. Nebraska matches them slap for slap because it's not going to be punch for punch, and we head into half knotted up at 13 points apiece. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. We see more magic between Martinez and Toure to keep things close in the second half, and a big-time interception by Markel Dismuke stymies a promising Oklahoma drive late in the game. But the play Husker fans will be talking about for the next century is when Scott Frost shows no fear of failure on the biggest of stages. Sevion Morrison pushes in for a short touchdown with under a minute remaining to bring the score to 27-26 in favor of the Sooners. In what can only be described as a scrotum-shrinking decision, Scott Frost keeps the offense on the field. Martinez takes the snap, rolls away from pressure, and finds Chance Brewington in the flat for two points and the win. There may be 15 Drew Horstmans in this world, but there's only one who's dumb enough to pick Nebraska to win this game, and his voice is currently occupying your ear holes. Give me the Cornhuskers with the monumental upset, 28-27. Wow. I'm going for it. And you want to know why? Why? Not because I believe in it. But you know what? Who gives a shit? Like, yeah. I am a fan of this team. Like, I love this team. And we are playing against a rival for the first time in a while. We're looking okay. <laughs> That's confidence you want. We're yeah. looking okay. Last week was my wallow in the sorrow of what is reality. Yeah. This week, fuck it. Like, I'm going after it. And if I don't care if I'm wrong. I'm wrong about so many things in life. I'm wrong about predicting a lot of stuff about Nebraska football. Sure. Probably going to be wrong about this prediction. Yep. I don't care. I'm cheering for this team. I want to see him win. I'm predicting a win, 28-27. Okay. I don't... Here first and only here. <laughs> first off, I want to just say that um, I'm still a fan of the team as well, even though I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see them win. That. Not, you're, what you're saying is it's not mutually exclusive. You can be a fan of the team and also still checked in with reality. Yeah, I can be a realist. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, this sour doesn't taste too much like Kool-Aid. <laughs> so when we did our two early predictions, I had uh, Oklahoma winning 38 to 23. You had them 37 to 21. Buckle up because this is a way too fucking long <laughs> prediction. <laughs> so... Oklahoma opens the game with a quick strike touchdown. Spencer Rattler rolls to his right and hits Marvin Mims for 50-plus, and the Sooners take an early 7-0 lead. Nebraska responds with a seemingly promising drive of their own, but old habits die hard as a holding call takes six off the board and the Huskers settle for three. Oklahoma takes the field chewing up a little more clock than their first possession, but the drive ends in the same result. 14-3 Oklahoma. 
The Huskers move the ball for a first down or two, but Cherney winds up with the ball in his hands. The start of a big day for the punder from down under as he drops the ball inside the 10, giving the defense a little extra juice. Oklahoma makes their way across the 50-yard line, and Nebraska's D cinches up. Oklahoma's kicker and Wheel of Fortune bonus round Burkich puts one through from 52 because it's four consonants and a vowel. 17-3 Sooners. Adrian takes the ball and the game in his hands and leads the Big Red down the field with the help of Austin Allen. The Huskers drive 78 yards and grab seven just before half, 17-10 Oklahoma. Nebraska gets the ball to start the half, and Betts takes the kickoff to the Nebraska 40-yard line. The Huskers get into range, and Connor Colt puts one through to get us three points closer to a tied ball game. A bobbled kickoff by Oklahoma puts the Sooners deep in their own territory, leading to the first punt of the day for Minchow. He flips the field, but not enough. Colt gets another chance, and the Huskers are right on the heel of Oklahoma 17-16. The third quarter comes to an end, and we have ourselves a good old-fashioned Nebraska-Oklahoma game. I am without a doubt very drunk at this point on what I can only assume (laughs) is a combination of Nebraska craft beer and raw emotion. For months, we have listened to Scott Frost call this group of players special. He can't wait to go into battle with these guys, and it's the best group of talent he's had at Nebraska. Just a bunch of dogs out to prove their worth. And they do. The Blackshirts get get a stop deep in Oklahoma territory and force another punt. Nebraska moves the ball downfield and sets up a fourth and short situation just outside of Culp's range. Frost calls a fake QB drop pop pass to Travis Vokalek, who's back, and the tight end breaks downfield for 20. Here comes the power run. It's downhill, it's aggressive, it's marquee step. The O-line comes to life, the pipeline rips across the Oklahoma territory. Oklahoma may have left behind their Big 8 roots for a flashy air assault, but Nebraska is finally regaining their own. One foot in the past, one in the present. Adrian fakes a handoff and dives in for six. The Huskers go for two, but don't convert. 17-22, Nebraska's first lead of the game. Unfortunately for us all in Husker Nation, Spencer Rattler is the Heisman favorite, and it's he's about to prove why. With seemingly minimal effort, Rattler leads Oklahoma down the field and regains the lead on a QB sneak at the goal line. It's a heartbreaker, but there's no way to avoid it. 24-22, Oklahoma. The Huskers scramble to work their way downfield for a field goal, but Oklahoma's pass rush makes it hard on Adrian. An untimely interception sees the Sooners end the game in the victory formation. Losing by two to the number two team in the country hurts. There's no moral victories, but this feels pretty damn close. Frost's special group of guys went toe-to-toe with an old rival and looked like they belonged. That's special enough for this team right here, right now. And it would have me looking forward to a piping hot dish of revenge when the Scurs square off against Mel Tucker the following week. Oklahoma is forced to steal one from Nebraska 24-22. Boo. Not good enough. (laughs) Not good enough. Why take us on a ride? Why take us on a ride if it's just going to end with heartbreak? I think Nebraska is going to really put up a fight, and I think it's going to earn a lot of respect for the Huskers in a lot of people's eyes who are counting this team out. Yeah, I think that's where I think that's where a lot of Husker fan mentality is, is it's we're we're getting there now. Like we're starting to see that progress. We're starting to see a point where, you know, we're not we're not all gonna jump on the idea that we're gonna beat Oklahoma like right. like me. Um, but we're at least willing to entertain the idea that we can hang with a team like this. Yeah. And and I don't know. We'll we'll get we're I get what you're trying to say. I mean we're we're getting there. Right, this to me would be a premature upset for Nebraska if you're looking to be a team that can consistently win and compete against teams of this stature, of this nature, of this ranking. 
I don't expect Nebraska to win against Oklahoma. I don't expect them to win against Ohio State. But if we play a game like I described, if we play a kind of game that you're describing where we're aggressive, we're committing to the run, we're committing to these things that make us a better team, the rest of the Big Ten schedule is wide open. There's a lot of football to be played, and I really think that we can make a dent, we can make a run, and we can be favorites or close to favorites moving forward in the next season and the season to come from there. Yeah. No matter what happens against Oklahoma, I think we are to a point where we're going to look back at Illinois throughout the season and think like... What could have been. Yeah. Yeah. This this division... Is ripe for the taking. Yeah, we're right there. Yep. Well, that does it for this week. We <laughs> want to thank everyone who tuned in to this week's episode. If you have anyone who you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on Powell's Brewing Company by visiting powellsbrewingcompany.com. And if you're visiting Norman for the Oklahoma game, stop by 405 Brewing Company and mix up a blend of your very own. If you have any breweries you'd like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Tune in next week as we sit down and sample beers from Max Creek in Lexington, Nebraska, share our thoughts on the Oklahoma game, and preview the Michigan State matchup. Thank you for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.